Podnose Presents features one-off specials, limited series, and pilot episodes as part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Podnose Presents and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Season four. If they if they'd began a season four, it would have essentially involved him surviving uh, and kind of mourning the death of Will. Yeah. And I think what would have ha- happened had to have happened would have been him eventually being caught again, and unfortunately having to do that time lapse again. But the next time we see Hannibal, he he is very much. Uh, of a different disposition and he is looking for his next will but from the start from the so when uh clarice starling or thereabouts um basically is is assigned to uh assigned for his advice uh when it comes to buffalo bill further down the line that this television's version of hannibal uh is um well he's um He's very aware that he's over. He's overexposed, and he's very aware that that um, that he doesn't have all the cards anymore. But he sees something in Clarice that he that reminds him of Will. And I would have have it so that Clarice is kind of this uh, this sim- symbolic kind of character, representative of something missing from his life, something that he had with Will, something that he had almost with Abigail, and. I think, yeah, I think that's sort of where it could have ended up potentially. But I, I think also... it would have been a risk, though. I think there's a risk with that of it being exactly the same as the Will, the Hannibal and Will storyline. I think they would have had to have found a way because, of course, the the big, the huge difference with the books and, and I suppose the films as well, and, and what happens in the series is that by the time he gets put in prison, Hannibal despises Will. He hates him because he is the man that caught him, and. Yeah. So there is a change in their relationship there, which the show did not transition to. And I kind of slightly wish it had. I I mean, obviously they wanted to play up by that stage, not least because it was so popular with the fans at that stage. The bond or the bromance, or whatever you want to call it, you know, this relationship, this friendship, which is really what it is, an intense love and a uh, very, very strong friendship between them. They had wanted to clearly play up that side of things even after he had gone into the uh, after he'd gone to prison and that is I think a slight problem because it's not a problem because it was it worked out fine as it was I, I mean I loved what they did with that story but I can't help but feel that it would have been different it would have been more it would have been a more interesting take in, in because it would have shown different sides of the person of the characters if at that stage it was more about Hannibal trying to get revenge on Will for betraying him. Also, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's it's a dangerous game actually trying to trying to make up your own stories. But I do I, I do feel like because really that that last section with the Red Dragon storyline is a just the same thing we've had for two and a half series up to that point you know it's it is the continued dance between these two characters of will they won't they and it would have been nice maybe if they had done something slightly different with that last that last section you know it's interesting to hear people's perceptions of that final moment uh, with bedelia because i like the fact that some people say maybe it's chio who is uh, kind of a guardian angel to hannibal uh, prior to his capture and then just disappears yeah i i Chio is the worst character in the show, as far as I'm concerned. She is the weak link, I think, in the entire show, really. But yeah. Well, the the other uh, seat, other people were saying maybe it's Uncle Gustav. <laughs> oh, God. 
There's a lot of people it could be, but I think it's going to be. I think one of them's going to be Hannibal. Uh, I think it's going to have at least one of them's going to be Hannibal because it, well, I can't see a situation in which any other character we don't know is going to be. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, if there'd been another series, it would have Hannibal would have had to have been back. So, um, well, you, you've heard you've heard who they were going to cast as Uncle Gustav. No, David Bowie. Oh, I did hear that, actually, yes. Oh, well, that's mad. <laughs> that's quite I'm, mad. <laughs> I would have loved that. That would have been... Oh, that, would have been that would have been smashing. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, though, this is going to sound very strange, and it's a long shot, but let's consider a couple of things. First of all, if we consider that what happens next in, in the overall idea of the world of Hannibal is that he gets caught again, and Clarice Starling it becomes his new... Uh, muse, as it were, and and essentially it's him, you know, we could argue that it's him trying to recapture certain feelings or certain certain experiences that he had had previously with with Will, in terms of the uh, the series at least. And then let's also consider that he has an uncle called Uncle Gustav. Now, let's consider there is an influence here that I don't think has been touched upon, and that is Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita. This is going to sound strange, but I don't think it's any coincidence that Uncle Gustav is also the character of uh, the, the name of the character, completely fictional, not just in terms of the novel, but also fictional within the novel of Lolita, uh, in terms of the fact that when Humbert Humbert attempts to bring Lolita out of hospital after she's uh, she's checked in there, she's been checked in there, she's checked out by a man who, who calls himself Uncle Gustav. And actually, as it turns out, it's Quilty, who is the, the antithesis of, of, of Humbert Humbert. And uh, it, it, there's just something aside from that. But it's also the fact that Lolita certainly becomes more apparent uh, in, in, the, um, in the novel, as well as the 1997 Adrian Lyne version of, uh, of uh, adaptation of the, of, the, of the book, as opposed to the Stanley Kubrick, uh, for want of a better description, comedy version where it's entirely apparent that Humbert Humbert is a damaged character who had a traumatic experience with someone he was devoted to in his childhood. And Lolita is the second coming. Lolita is someone who's stirring those emotions back up for him that allows him to bask back in those moments of tranquility that he had with his former lover. He's the the person who affected him the most through tragedy. And... This is going to sound absurd, but had they continued the series, I I, I believe that would have become t- more more apparent. I believe that it would have become more apparent that that Will was this muse that ultimately betrayed him and ultimately died in such a way that that Hannibal couldn't save him. Well, I think that theme's already there though in in the series of Hannibal because I would say that Hannibal is already a uh, a stand-in for Misha, or, or to some to some extent. Yes, yeah. He, so the, so it's already there. You, I mean, obviously, he he's entirely possible that Stalin could have come along and then kind of taken that role on again. But because it would have made sense that Hannibal would constantly be trying to find people to fill this this gap in his life. But uh, so I think, but I think that is already present in the existing series that we have of Hannibal. But the uh, the thing is. The character of Starling is not the same character. Is not does not have the same relationship with Hannibal anyway that Will has, even in the existing, even in the TV series, because the relationship that Hannibal has with Starling, certainly in the in Silence of the Lambs, and to a lesser extent in in Hannibal, because in Hannibal it kind of becomes more of a conventional love plot to an extent, but there is still a a sense of Hannibal. Not, yeah, I suppose admiring what he sees in in Starling. He he appreciates the steel in her. He appreciates the fact that she has to go through all these things. And that, although he recognises that she's not necessarily the smartest person in the entire world necessarily, he she is still very intelligent. She is still a very she is still a strong woman driven by her convictions. She she but what she she you know she knows what she believes and she sticks to her beliefs and. He sees her as unbendable in a way that other characters around him, other people around him, are not. Other people are uh, easily manipulated, they're easily controlled, they are easily uh, easily led, whereas 
he and or easily corrupted. Whereas she, he sees her as incorruptible. He sees her as somebody who cannot be, or, or or who he wants to see if he can test her against the world around her. That's what he finds exciting about uh, about Chris, which is different from his relationship with Will. Even in the series, which obviously is different from the relationship in the book. In the series, his relationship with Will is one of wanting to be friends with Will. He wants to be friends with her because he sees a, he sees someone who could understand him. He sees someone who could empathise with him and who could be like him. So he, there's, it's a different, you know, it's a different dynamic than you would have if you had Starling coming to you. So I do like, I mean, obviously they never got the rights to her, so it's kind of a moot point even talking about it to an extent in context of the series. But I do like that, it, I almost prefer. I would have preferred it if it did. If it wasn't a case of Starling turns up and Hannibal tries to make her will, I would have liked it if they had tried to do. If they'd obviously done on that a bit, but they had also done something different, whereby he's he's excited not by the fact that she could understand him, but by the fact that she she is a woman of conviction, of belief. She knows what she believes, and she believes in you know, in doing the right thing no matter what, even though the system around her, the the FBI and, you know, the world around her is constantly trying to beat her down and make her compromise, but she's not willing to. And that's what he, that's what he admires in her. That's what excites him about her. And the fact that he can fill a, a role of, of potentially father figure. Absolutely. That's also true, which I suppose actually makes her, and this is very clearly true in the books, there is clearly a, a relationship with her which reflects his relationship with Misha. I mean, that's that's made explicit in the Hannibal book, uh, less so in the films. It, he has obviously had this sister he's lost and he, he sees her in a kind of a, a similar role, a kind of a, a daughter role or a sister role, a younger sister, whatever, where he is trying to help her understand herself and and understand what makes her such a good... He's trying to make her understand herself and her strengths by testing her. That's what he's doing. Um, yeah. And that is different from what he's doing with Will. He is testing Will, but not to make it... Not to make him a better person, but to make him a... To make him acknowledge that he's a flawed person, do you see what I mean? There's a there's a it's it's a different dynamic. He's actually trying to get Will to acknowledge his his darker side, whereas with Clarice, he admires the fact that she doesn't even have a darker side. Almost, you know, she's not she doesn't have that, and he's trying to get her to realise that. So it's a different thing he respects about them. Yeah, Hannibal is very keen on having his uh, human Sudokus. He is. That's absolutely true. He he every, he all he's interested in is is sort of un, unfolding these characters and working and get and just entertaining himself with them and finding uh yeah trying to not not even just to play games with them but just trying to sort of get get yeah just i suppose so just sort of play just trying to understand them and trying to get them to understand themselves really i suppose so in terms of other relationships in the show other minor characters for example we've been talking about what ifs in terms of if there was a season four and so forth. And, of course, uh, Clarice Starling, who, as of the end of the third season, they still hadn't acquired the rights to uh, use the character, unfortunately. But then you've got to take into account how other characters from the books have been reinterpreted for the series. For example, Freddie Lowndes. She is a character who is a male, I believe, in the in the books and things do not end well for that character in the books but how do you feel about freddie lowndes in the series uh i really like her i think she's uh she's very well acted i think she's uh i mean she's true to the character she's not actually different she's not really tremendously different from how she is as a man <laughs> it was a bit of a odd sentence but uh she she's not different from how she is really in the books or in the other versions really uh she i mean i suppose in the other versions they they play up the fact i mean i was gonna say they play out the fact that the the male versions are a bit more slimy but i mean i don't know if that's true i mean <laughs> she's incredibly uh sort of crude. i think actually if there was one thing i would say for her in this version she's she seems to be more She's more on the ball. I actually get the impression that she's she is smarter than the versions in the certainly in the films. Um, I can't remember what she's like in the books, to be honest. But uh, or he's uh, he's like in the books rather. But certainly in the films, I don't get the impression that the, the character is as 
attuned to to you know the manipulations and so on around her as 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 she is and she even says in the in the series when referring to abigail hobbs about how she recognizes in abigail some qualities that she sees in herself uh, she sees intelligence in her she sees manipulation in her that so she she is aware of herself she is aware of the people around she she recognizes intelligence in other people so i i i think this this version of her is, is more intelligent, but she is still true to the character which is really all that matters you know as a character she's that that doesn't change and in terms of that character in the book as well i mean and and of course the film red dragon in which the character is played by the late great fantastic uh, philip seymour hoffman in the, in the Red Dragon film. Yes, is, yeah. yeah. Uh, quite a shocking death. Well, yeah, I mean, it is a, it's a horrible death, although I'd argue that actually when they do it in this series, because they kind of they effectively shift that death onto Chilton. Yes. In the series, don't they? Although, of course, he doesn't die in the uh, in the series. Uh, it's actually, I think, it's even worse. <laughs> it's even worse if such a thing is possible in the series because it is so graphic. Several aspects of it are just played up to, to such an extreme level. The the biting of the lips with the stretching of the you know the the actual flesh being torn in front of your face. You actually see it. It's not something done off screen. You really see the the flesh tearing and stretching out. I mean, it, almost ridiculously so. And, uh, and of course, then being burnt alive. I mean, again, they show it in such a horrible way. It's not just the fact that you see him afterwards being so, I mean, unimaginably burnt, mm. but you see uh, they they do flashbacks to to, uh, to Chilton actually having you know being set on fire and the the look of horror in his face uh, as he is set on fire and stuff. And it is chilling stuff. But they didn't do that with Freddie. Um, I can't remember where I heard or read this, but they were saying that they, they chose not to do that with Freddie in the, the series because they didn't feel like they could do that kind of a... They couldn't treat a woman in that way. Um, Brian Fuller, obviously, throughout Hannibal, has been very cautious or aware of of sort of wanting to avoid depicting fi- uh, male-on-female violence. And all, ca- all the female characters, certainly in the television series, are, are in fact very strong. Uh, in, even even in the... Um, I mean, even if one considers the uh, the transformation of Alana Bloom, but then you also have Margot, uh, you have... Well, and her evolution as well, of course. Um, you have Freddie Lowndes is, uh, has this sense of... Um, independence but at the same time she's not afraid to get her hands dirty and quite frankly she is very unethical and then you have uh the character played by anna klumsky who is jack crawford's original protege who subsequently disappears and then as it turns out uh, was being kept alive by uh, the chesapeake ripper aka hannibal for a long mm-hmm. period of time who and will's girlfriend uh wife rather sorry in in the last half of the third series yes. uh is is not a huge character but he's very well played and, and I, mean, I, I can't remember the name of the actress now but you know she does with what very little time she has on screen she does an amazing amount with that character and just in, in, in terms of uh not depth of character but rather in terms of just getting you to uh, like and sympathise and feel for that character uh, really very intensely, actually. Uh, and she's a strong character. I mean, the way that she escaped, I mean, the whole escape sequence from Dollarhide, where she's being, you know, where Dollarhide is going in to kill her and her son. And that whole, that is her scene. That is her scene where she is the, she is the one that gets them out of that situation alive. She's not saved by the police. She's not saved by Will. She is the one that saves her son. You know, she, she is the hero of that sequence. So yeah, you're absolutely right. They do. uh, So many of the characters in this that are are women are are, are very strong characters, which is, which is true of Brian Fuller's work in general. I mean, he is very, very good at coming up with these kind of, strong uh and and it's almost like patronizing phrase but you know well i don't want to say strong because that doesn't have to be the only quality that you see in a female character they're not just strong but they they are good characters that's a that's well-rounded i mean it's not the fact that they are well-rounded sorry. yeah that's right that's right i think that's a better way of phrasing it because i mean people it's tempting to say oh they're strong characters but you know you can have a character who's female who's weak but he's still a brilliant character because of course <laughs> people of all sexes can be you know can have can be weak people strong people flawed people mm. whatever but what's important 
important is that they are believable and uh, you know engaging characters, and that is the important thing: is that the, these characters do not feel like you know just background characters to to the men. And we we sort of talked earlier about how uh, I have always resisted the idea that Alana is just the is a boring character in the background. I do not agree with that statement, as I said earlier. So I like the fact that all the characters feel like believable and engaging characters in their own right. So, yeah, I mean, that's great. I like the fact that Abigail, even Abigail, gets a sort of a coda episode where it's a... I mean, it almost explores a what-if. What if... Uh... She t- see, uh, do you mean the one that... Yeah, you mean the one in the last half of the series with Hannibal and where he's remembering all the times that he was with her and he's kind of bringing her up, the stuff that we didn't see in Series 2 but was obviously going on behind the scenes in Series 2. Well, I was referring more to the um, the Will and Abigail episode where Will and... Ab- uh, Will and... Oh, right, yes. Actually, no, that is a good, that is a good coda. Uh, I, I thought you meant the one that comes after that because there's another one, if you remember, where Hannibal keeps thinking back to how he was sort of raising her or kind of introducing her more and more into his world and I didn't like that one so much because as is the case with several of the episodes or several of the kind of the themes in that last half of the series I felt like it didn't explore it as fully as it could do I mean that you know I think again I've already talked about it but that last half of the of the third series, I do feel rushes several of the strands uh, for one reason or another, whether it's time or money or whatever it is. And one of those was exploring Hannibal's relationship with her. I never really felt like it because they're trying to make it all part of a, a theme of family because there's Will's family going on and Dollar Hyde wanting to find a family and all these kind of things going on. And yet, I never really feel it all kind of comes together as a as a as a coherent theme do you know what i mean in those episodes yeah but, uh, but she i mean abigail is a fantastic character as well i mean there's another character who is a great character because she's it, you are constantly being wrong-footed by exactly what kind of a person she is you start off thinking she's purely a victim you then see that she's actually more than that she's much more manipulative and cold she's got a, a more detached side and you start to suspect her and then we see her kill uh the the brother of one of the other well one of the people that's actually been killed by Hannibal although at the time they think it's by uh, by the copycat killer and uh, she ends up you know gutting gutting the brother and we again see well, she's not a she's not a murderer in the kind of the most she doesn't enjoy murdering in that situation she she clearly is horrified by the fact that she is she sees an element of her father in herself that she could she could actually do that so again we see that quality and then Ultimately, I suppose we see that actually there is a, uh, as we later find out at the, towards the end of series one, we find out that she was m- directly involved in her father's crimes. She was drawing the women in. She was drawing the girls in and befriending them and ultimately setting them up for her, her father to go in and and uh, and kill them. So, you know, again, we see lots of different facets to her character as well. Yeah, and and then it, weirdly, we even see different aspects because then we start seeing projections of the character from other characters' points of view. So it's not even the real person. It's, it's how other characters think about her or remember her. So you start seeing Will's perspective of the character and how he views her as an innocent, really, as, as a kind of this, this true innocence of it all. And then we see Hannibal, who sees, and we see from, with, from Hannibal's perspective, the, the more detached and ruthless side of her. So we see different sides of her personality through, through other people's eyes and perspectives, which, I mean, it's, well, I mean, it's a fantastic show. That's, I mean, that's why I love it, because there's just so much going on with every single character. And a lot like open that. to interpretation as well. I mean, if you consider how, as you say, I mean, with, with the perception of Will and his fantasy relationship with Abigail in terms of, of, of being something of a mentor uh, whilst they're in Italy, uh, supposedly. Initially, you get the, you think, oh, did she survive? And then you realise she did not. It's, well, it, it's this kind of rather marvellous hallucination. It's a lamentation. It's, it's Will... It's not a hallucination because he knows it's not real. I, I don't think he ever believes that she is really there, apart from maybe in the very first few seconds when she first walks into the, the hospital room. But, I mean, I really think after that, he, I mean, it, she, she is something that he has created in his mind palace, you know? He, she, she is a memory uh, that he is keeping warm, you know? <laughs> he's trying to keep one part, the one or he's trying to Create, take a part of him that he views as positive, even though whether it, whether it was or not is another matter. He's trying to take take this one decent thing in his life 
alive as it were because at that point he's he has effectively lost everything else all of his other relationships and everything have fallen apart he's but he, Hannibal's escaped all this stuff's happened and he's trying to he's trying to maintain this one part even though as we see he knows it it can't last because of course as soon as he starts getting nearer to Hannibal she starts falling away and starts bringing back more and more unpleasant memories to now him, speaking so. of warm memory palace I think that reminds me of one of my most favorite uh, scenes <laughs> Uh, not as graphic as it may sound, but uh, when Hannibal and Will, it's the calm before the storm in season three. It's the moment where they can talk on the level without any threat, any danger. It's we know what's to come. We know what's happened. They're there in the, I believe, the church in Italy. And even on the soundtrack, the music of uh, Glenn Gould is very quietly, very soothingly in the background. And they, they basically just have a moment together and it's very sweet it's very strange they know that everything that's to follow whatever it may be is not going to be pleasant and ultimately it's prior to them being reunited at the end of the entire uh, series it's ultimately it's the the final moments of, of them being as close as they'll ever be up until those last moments. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think there's there's several moments in that third series where well, the first half of the third series where they are there, where there is a real warmth between them, much more so than I think there is at any point in the first or second series. There is a real intimacy between them. I mean, the other one that stands out, but in fact, probably one of my favourite scenes in the whole the whole series is the um, is a moment in the third series where it's. It's after Hannibal has basically gone on the run again after having been found by Jack and everyone else and Patsy and everyone else in in in, uh, in Italy. And he goes on the run. He goes to the uh, he goes to look at the painting one last time. Mm. Do you remember the one I mean? And uh, and obviously he's he's there. He's he's doing the painting one final time. Uh, is that Botticelli? I think it was a Botticelli, wasn't it? And uh, so he's he, anyway, he's at the painting where Patsy had seen him years before and Will comes in and they have that very low-key discussion and it is a very warm discussion between them. You know, it's not the this intellectual battle or this, this kind of intellectual foreplay that they've had all th- up until that stage. It really is just... It's two people being genuinely touched to see each other. And there's that fantastic line about how, um, I can't remember exactly how it is, but he says something like, uh, even if I was to be with you for the rest of time, I would still remember this moment or, or words to that effect. And I mean, it's just such a fantastic scene that I just, it's, oh, for so I many reasons. you just described the same scene, although you described it much better. Oh, sorry. I, I thought you were. I put. I thought you. Yeah, because I was describing the one in the art. Uh, the art place. You were. Just, I thought you were talking about the one in the. Uh, maybe the I thought it was. A, maybe I'm an idiot. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> it. No, I, 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 I. Sorry. I thought you meant the scene in the church where they kind of imagine being together in the church talking to each other, but they're oh. actually not. Um, there are several sequences like that. You know, in in the place where Hannibal frequent, which he the foyer of Hannibal's. Mind Palace is this church. Oh no, I meant I meant the moment where it. I can tell you exactly what follows it. It's it's when Chio shoots him. Yes, no, you're, we are talking about the same scene. I apologise. I, I thought we we were just no, uh, for purposes. Yes, that is that is a fantastic scene. That is a brilliant scene. You're right. It's probably what I would say up there with my two or three favourite scenes in the entire. Well, I, I apologise for getting uh, getting the uh, the location wrong, and I'll tell you why. Is is because, <laughs> and this is with the greatest of respect to any Italians listening, is that uh, from any. And I've never been to Italy as much as I'd love to, but from what I can gather, every everything in Florence looks like a. Looks like a, a cathedral or an, or a gallery. It's also yeah, it looks incredible. Yeah. I know as, as, uh, everything in Florence looks exactly. stunning. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually true or if that's just you know TV magic, but it's uh, it's absolutely true. Certainly on this show, it's true. And, uh, yeah, every um, shot in in every location is is uh, you know yeah. even even going into. Uh, well, I mean, any any building. I mean, any single building. Uh, any moment. Any murder scene. It is, yes. is perfect. Do you have any other, just because uh, obviously the show is such an incredible visual show, do you have any sort of favourite visual moments, any particular, because it's such an imaginative show. Oh, well, I mean, I, there's a moment in that final scene of season two where it's reminiscent of yellow films, I believe it, I believe is the pronunciation. Yeah. 
the, those Italian yellow films where you have Alana Bloom being pushed out the window and a very devastating moment of shock, absolute shock, and the glass and the rain, and then it cuts to the rain just... I mean, that that whole... Oh, yeah, it's and, amazing, and yeah. The, and, and continuing in the rain uh, further on when, uh, you know, the, and then, then the kind of blending into the blood. And just the fact that by the end of that final scene, it is just pools of blood. And and the the devastation, uh, you know, in his wake, and the... That the the very very sad moment where Will is 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 losing consciousness and he he sees the stag just just kind of on its in its last breath as well. It's all the thing is the show does such a good thing where it makes brutality and the worst kinds of brutality just unbelievably impressive to look at, you know. Because and of course, I mean, it, on the one hand, you could say, oh, you know, it's it's unnecessarily playing up how amazing these things look uh, but the, the the fact is it is actually sort of thematically logical because the, you know it makes sense thematically because Han- that's how Hannibal views the world he wants things to be absolutely as beautiful as it can possibly be as we as we were talking about earlier you know he wants every experience and every murder and everything to be a work of art effectively and and that that is true of the of the show's approach to how it convey how it you know portrays the murders and so on. I mean, there's there, there's so many moments like, but actually in, in series three there's there's a number of moments like that where there's the slow motion sh- of the bullet going into Chilton's cheek, which took place in series two, but they show you it in slow motion mm. in series three, and it shows you it going through the inside of his jaw and it tearing up the inside. I mean, it's an it's a horrific image on one level, but on the other hand, it's just such a visually imaginative way of portraying what is really just a, you know, a, a, would you could do in such a mundane way. Otherwise, you could just show him being shot in the shot in the face. But they they really kind of make every single moment, every tear, every every you know everything about about it. Just to, uh, they make every moment important uh, and and you know stunning to look at. And um, yeah, there's just loads of moments throughout, uh, throughout it. I mean, another one I like, which isn't related to violence, but you've got the moment where Will is remembering going through again, sort of again, series three. Because series three is really kind of the peak. The first half of series three is really, I think, the the, the visual peak of the series. You also have that moment where Will goes into his own memory palace and he's remembering him and Hannibal destroying all of the books and documents and everything in Hannibal's office. And you see all these documents, pieces of paper falling down around him, kind of like raining down, floating down around him like leaves. And he plucks one out of the air and it's the, it's the distorted clock that he drew. And it, you know, it's again, it's just such, they don't waste anything, Mm. you know, they could have done, they could do all of these different things in much simpler quicker arguably more efficient ways but they they instead make every single shot matter and tell you a whole by doing it like this it's not only visually much more interesting but it also actually tells you a lot of information about how characters are feeling what they're thinking what they're you know what they're focusing on in a way that just seeing it in a kind of a more literal depiction of an act wouldn't tell you you know you can see by doing it like that the the state of mind that, that Will is in in that moment, you know, you can see what is going through his mind, literally, and, and how he is feeling in a way that you wouldn't, they, you couldn't capture if you just showed, you know, just a, a cold, hard depiction of somebody, you know, being murdered or or, or or remembering an incident or something like that. It's it, it's much more imaginative use of that and much more effective as a result of it in terms of teaching you and giving you information about the characters. Well, as Garrett Jacob Hobbs uh, emphasises in the first season, uh, n- no part of the meat is wasted. Uh, there's no fat on... Uh, Yes. <laughs> on, on a single scene of of, of uh, the entire series, and th- I mean, I, I like the fact as well that I would say that in almost all series, for the most part, there's the old reliable. There's the the characters that are safe. They're in the bank. Nothing bad's going to happen to them. I would uh, argue that uh, in some respects, uh, for example, in, in and obviously spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen these seasons, but for example, certain characters throughout se- series that you. You, you at the very least hope nothing bad's going to happen to them because they're just there. Yeah. For example, Bob Odenkirk in Breaking Bad, he plays Saul Goodman, the 
lawyer of the main character, Walter White, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that something may or may not happen to the character at the end of the day, but nevertheless, there's a fantastic prequel that's out uh, showing how he got to this point as as a lawyer that's uh, on at the moment. But that's an old reliable, that's a character, and maybe it's because he, it, uh, the character's played by someone who's better known as a comedian, certainly to me, he's better known as a comedian or a comic act, comedy actor. Um, very much mm. in the same way that you have Scott Thompson from The Kids in the Hall playing Jimmy Price, the coroner, on Hannibal. Now, it's, I believe it's, is it Stella or Stoller? Stella and Price? Uh, Stoller, isn't it? I can't remember if I'm completely, I think it was Stoller. It's, but, it's oh, sort of Cats, Price and Stoller, and Cats bites the dust um, in season two uh, <laughs> in a very elaborate way. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and, and one of the, I would say one of Hannibal's best murders in terms of both dramatically and also as a purely on a, on a purely visual basis, I think that's one of Hannibal's most impressive. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's someone who got too close, and he made a very distinct point of uh, taking taking her job and literally making it making her part of her own job. I actually thought that was it's funny that because I remember thinking that it, that's a very literal, uh, even by for, rather for Hannibal, that's very literal the way he does that. It's actually slightly less subtle than some of his other ones, you know? It's it's literally, well, what does she do for a job? Oh, yes, she kind of takes a crime scene apart piece by piece, so that's what I'm going to do with her. It's a very literal depiction of what she does, and, you and know? That's a, and you look at the way he's done it, and you think, that's a that's a, that's a bit of an effort, isn't it? Yes. You know, <laughs> tone it down, you know? And then you have Price and, let's say, Stoller. And, yeah, they're, they're a comedy duo. It's Zella. Sorry, I've remembered it's Zella, because Zella, they call him Z. Zella, eh. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, so Price and Zella. Uh, I should say to our listeners that we have looked at these series in and out, and that's not to say that we, we've, we've gone into this conversation without notes because we know a lot about it. We know a lot about the aesthetics of it, but that's not to say, of course, that occasionally um, memory uh, will... will... Well, the problem is, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't... I watched it, I last watched it about a month or two ago, and I can't... <laughs> I, I can't remember all the specific... I can't remember every like every name or anything in it, but, I mean, yeah, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, people know... What yeah, and about. I, there will be... There is going to be a disclaimer prior to this recording, basically saying that you should only really be listening to this if you know the series, if you've been watching... If you've seen the whole series... Yeah, I hope so. Otherwise, we support the entire. Yeah, thing. <laughs> I feel slightly bad for uh, our wonderful editor, who I who if he was intending to watch the series, um, yeah, he might not feel inclined to do so now. Of which I apologise. It's your wonderful editor here, and you're right, George. You've put me right off it. Bambi was more my hammer, anyway. But nevertheless, I do find that the series has a lasting impact on me. It's one that I want to share with people, but I do know also that a lot of people get queasy easily or they don't or they or they see it, they they have an interpretation of it and they don't want to try it. They don't want to dip their toe in the water, which is fair enough, but it is also quite astounding to consider the fact that this was relatively prime time on on NBC. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. I've never been able to get made around that. There's some of the stuff they were doing and this was going out on a, you know, a mainstream uh, you know, mainstream channel. It's, it is crazy. It's, it's crazy that this that this show could exist uh, in that kind of uh, environment. It's just mad. I mean, it's a miracle that it managed mm. to get three series, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I, I can't really begrudge NBC for cancelling it because it, it's just such. It's so out there. And I mean, you said there that you you think that people don't want to see it because it's too gory or whatever. I, I don't think it's just that. I think I, I think I mentioned this earlier as well, but we. I do genuinely think that the the biggest barrier to entry is the fact that it is so intense. Mm. The show is so intense. And that first series in particular, your lead character is a borderline autistic, incredibly uh, damaged character who has no ability to, uh, to, who who, who is incredibly affected by violent criminals and feels himself drawn towards those kind of people yet can't interact with ordinary people around him you know with 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 the other characters around him and 
is an incredibly unpleasant character at times. He is, you know, he's very difficult for to, for other characters to be around and for us to watch. So it is not an easy thing for you to get into. You know, it's uh, it is it has very intense visuals. It's a very dark show. Very, you know, very oppressive atmosphere the music is very oppressive so, uh, i mean that first series in particular and second series as well i think has i i sometimes even found myself wishing they would sometimes turn down the music a little bit because it is so intense and so like there's like a wall of noise at times um which is all part of the aesthetic and all kind of part of the the you know the atmosphere and everything like that but it it, it 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 must be alienating to to some people because it's just such an intense show. Yeah, it's hard to sell to people. I mean, it's quite weird, really, for me because I remember that the two shows that came out around the same time were the ones that I had completely separate expectations of, and it turns out they were completely reversed by the time they began. And that was Hannibal and the following. Now, the following, I watched the first few episodes and I just could not hook into it and. I just found it um, astoundingly cheesy. It was I, I. I was I didn't think Hannibal was going to be any good whatsoever, and I thought the following was going to be really interesting. It was going to be you know, but then the first episode it had Kevin Bacon throwing like you know it's all very predictable. Oh, a bottle of water? No, it's vodka. He's a secret alcoholic, and and uh, you know and and then not getting to a crime scene, uh, not getting to someone's house in time, and it's now a crime scene, and he's like, where are the helicopters? And then like gets a deck chair and throws it into a brick wall, and goes meh like that, and it's it's just a it's, yeah. It's, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'm sure there are people who love the following, but I thought it was bollocks. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, we've been talking about Hannibal for a fair while now, and I don't think I could really squeeze out half an hour about the following, other than the fact that I found it incredibly dire. I mean, and the thing is, it was bleak, but without any charm, you know? I think that's the thing, is that Hannibal, through characters like Chilton, and even even to a point, the the menacing vibe of Freddie Lowndes, there there is an element of humour. I mean, even the character of Mason Verger in both the film Hannibal and the series Hannibal is I, it just reminds me of bane i mean yeah, it's, it's a good comparison he is i mean he, I, I mean i actually think that comedically i think he's put i think Virgil is the funniest character in the series uh far more so than the sort of price and zeller and, and cats in the first couple of series i mean i, I, I they are funny i suppose in their own way but it, it is a bit more kind of conventional you know, witty banter, you know, wacky characters or whatever. But by Verger is a inherently weird and therefore and funny guy with it. You know what I mean? He, he has turns of phrase. And I mean, the whole show is peppered with moments which are blackly comic. I mean, Brian Fuller has described it as he he has said that the show is a black comedy. So it, it clearly that runs right through the whole series. I mean, it's not exactly it's it's rarely laugh out loud funny, although there are moments, but it is. It is, as as he says, it is a black comedy. It's a comedy where you, throughout the whole thing, you're kind of, with one thing, you're sort of unbelievable, you can't believe what you're seeing with one hand, or what you're seeing with, with uh, you know, one eye on, I don't know quite how I'm saying that, but you know what I'm saying. You, uh, I'm mixing metaphors, but you know what I'm saying. It, it's a show which which manages to, to take the two elements and, and, and sort of weaves them together Well, I mean, with Verger, well. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a disgusting character. I mean, he's a, he's a horrible pervert, heavily implied that he... You know, I mean, it's not just animals, it's children, it's 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 killing babies, it's removing wombs, it's it's incest, it's... Yes, yeah, it's pretty... That sequence, that whole sequence at the, in the... Uh, well, it's not a series, I was going to say the series finale, but it isn't. It's a, it's the halfway house uh, of series three, but in that, in that episode where he's he's got a baby, or he's got, he's got her dead baby in a pig, I mean, that is a... That is probably one of the most shocking moments I have ever seen in my life. And it's, I, 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 anything, I, I, TV, film, it's just... I mean, that's a good example of, of genuinely the blackest black comedy, you know? It really is pitch mm. black. Just how... I mean, it's so over the top, it's so absurd that it is clearly on some level sort of funny i suppose but it's still such a horrible sequence and such a and the way it's it's 
you know, balanced off against everything else that's going on at the same time. Because what's his name? He's having his face cut off as well. So it's like, if it's not enough. At this stage in the series, it's not enough that we just have somebody's face cut off, and it's not enough that we just have a baby inside a pig. We have to, we have to combine the two. You know, it's not even the first time that some something's been sewn into that of another animal. I mean, if you remember, no, it's true. That's happened two or three there, times in the that, series. Wasn't there like a man sewn into a horse? So, yeah, there was. There's, there's the whole, and yeah. it's Several uh, times in that episode is a woman, first of all, sewn into a or man or woman, I can't remember which. So, yeah, a woman sewn into a horse at the start. And then at the end, the uh, the, the other guy sews up the bloke that murdered yeah, her. And it's it, it's uh, I mean, the thing is about Verger, though, I, I'm, I'm slightly obsessed with the kind of why. Why have all the actors involved chosen that voice? Why? Are they it's weird. I assume the reason the actor who played him in Series 3, who was different from the actor that played him in Series 2, I assume the reason he went with that was because it was a combination of the actor from Series 2 and the, I suppose, the famous depiction of, of Mason Verger from the film uh, with Gary Oldman. I, I guess that's why I assume it just came down to the fact that that was such a standout performance, really. And I, mean, I suppose also the fact is, in that circumstance with a person who has lost a big portion of their mouth and has got, you know, serious, uh, such serious facial deformity, I suppose to an extent you are limited in, in, in how you can perform, the, how you can play it, because you've, you've got to be articulate, you've got to be able to hear what they're saying, and yet you've also got to play it with, you know, it's still got to be disgusting and horrible to listen to and all the rest. So. Yeah. It's a fantastic voice, though. I love that voice. I mean, I still think Mason Verge is a fantastic character, quite frankly. I think he's a brilliant character. Just he's, He stands out in the show as being far more... Well, I think he's more overtly funny than any of the other characters. He just... he he's sli- It's almost like he's slightly aware of the fact that he's in a, in a ridiculous... Extre- such an extreme show. Well, you that's know? the thing is that what makes him what makes him more comic, I suppose, is that he's entirely aware of how disgusting he is. Yes, and, that's right. Yeah, he is. That's, that's good. That's, and he doesn't that's care. True. That's the thing. He actually revels in it. He likes he likes shocking and upsetting people. He actually delights in traumatizing people through these things. I mean, in some ways, him becoming this disgusting and you know hideous person is is not just kind of poetic justice because it kind of reflects his inter how he is inside but it also works because on some level he actually enjoys using that as a as a tool to to torment other people i mean he uses it to to upset and make uh, or try and make alana uncomfortable and he uses it to presumably make children uncomfortable enough because because uh, obviously that gets him off and all the other things so and of course uh, another very memorable scene where Prior to his disfiguration, he's cutting off his own face and feeding it to dogs. Oh my god! I mean, yeah. When you when you talk about these things, you realise how many just uh, that something like that could ever go out on television. It's absolutely <laughs> crazy. It's so short. It's just unbelievable that that ever went out. A man cutting, hacking off chunks of his face and feeding them to uh, to dogs. It's just coming up crazy. on NBC. The uh, repeats of The Office yeah. and Friends. After this man cuts yeah. off his own face. Ah, yeah, it's, it's absolutely mad. But yeah, just um, just one other thing I wanted to touch on uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um, how do you feel about the way that the, I suppose the whole arc of Hannibal and Will, how do you feel about the way that it ends? I don't mean the fact that they go off the cliff. I mean the fact that do you feel like that was true to Will's character? Because I I do have slightly conflicted emotions about quite how they tied up. Will's story at the end there. I feel that Will was always going to forever be tied down by Hannibal. The second that Hannibal decided to be a part of Will's life and decided to make sure that Will was always in some shape or form emotionally attached to Hannibal, uh, even either in memory or as part of his life, uh, depending on what was going on in it. I think it was quite apparent when there was the it's not you it's me kind of conversation that Hannibal and Will had prior to Hannibal's arrest uh, in that same episode where Mason Verger is killed and so forth yes. yeah right uh, at the end. That it became apparent that Hannibal wasn't going to necessarily let go he's like you know I'll surrender and just so you know where I am <laughs> and yeah. I, I kind of felt that I think it was more always more interesting to see how Hannibal evolved, given that he's a sociopath, a psychopath, he he's, he feel and yet he he 
it, what makes him, uh, certainly in terms of the series, rather than necessarily the books or indeed the films with Anthony Hopkins or, or, or Brian Cox from uh, Manhunter, the difference is, is that Mads Mikkelsen's interpretation of Hannibal as a character in the series is someone who revels in being around someone who has such a, an extraordinary ability to empathise with anyone. And so there's almost a, a, a thrill in being able to provoke empathy in Will through someone who who almost perhaps can't experience that. And so I think Hannibal has a, a learning curve because even when he reaches the end of season two... Oh, he and does. Yeah, and because he's... You know, there's there's blood, sweat and tears at this point. You, you kind of... That moment where he says, now that you know me, see me. And you you can feel the emotion in that. Uh, well, Will says a line in in series in that final episode of series two where he says, "Do you?" Th- well, Hannibal says to him, "Do you th- believe you could ever change me like I've changed you?" And Will says, "I have." Uh, I already did. I already did. I already did. And I mean, that's absolutely true. He has changed Hannibal because Hannibal has never clearly cared about anybody, bar Misha, in the way that he cares about uh, or connects with. Will, I mean, I suppose you could say Abigail is uh, Abigail Hobbs is also connected. Is it, it, there's an element there? Although I think that's actually more directly uh, a relationship towards Misha um, that he's trying to engender there. But with with Will, he obviously wants. He actually does see someone who could potentially be a, like a, a friend to him, somebody who could uh, who could actually bond with him. So there is definitely a, he definitely does go through that arc. Yeah, my problem with what happens at the end of series three is that big steps that Will makes all feel like they happen very suddenly. And I suppose to an extent they don't, but let me just clarify what I mean there. So you've got Will do it. He does really does three things at the end of the third series, which I suppose are meant to indicate his final steps towards becoming, not not becoming Hannibal, but certainly becoming much more like Hannibal. He does the, he manipulates Chilton into potentially a situation, effectively into a situation where, which results in him being burnt alive. So he's kind of got the element of manipulation and curiosity there that Hannibal Hannibal has and obviously uses has throughout the whole series. So he's displaying that. Then the, then the other the one that I think really stands out to me, and this is such a, this is such a huge leap in his character, is that. At every single point up until then, Will has obviously refused to kill or, you know, anything like that. And it's never made explicit whether Will intended for Chilton to be, you know, found by Dollar Hyde or anything like that. You get the impression that even he doesn't know. He's not 100% sure. He was just maybe curious to see what would happen. But later on, we obviously see that Dollar Hyde frees Hannibal during the whole, you know, the, the whole escape sequence. And in the process, he kills a whole bunch of police officers. And Will must have known that that was going to happen. There's no way that he couldn't have known, because if he knows that Dollar Hyde was going to turn up before they got to the destination, because he knows that he knows that he can't, he can't kill Hannibal if they get there. So it's a very weird thing. He has to know that, that Dollar Hyde is going to kill all these people, and he has to be willing for all those people to die. That's a huge leap in his character. And I mean, I suppose the obvious defence is, well, by that point, all he cares about is is protecting his family, is ensuring that his family are, are, are safe and that, and that Hannibal is dead. And that by that stage, in kind of in keeping with his slow transformation into Hannibal, uh, he, he, by that point, is willing and he kind of does forget about the, the lives of other people around him. And all he cares about is the kind of the pragmatic solution to to his problem and that is killing Hannibal and so if that involves people dying then so be it that is a kind of a Hannibal a Hannibal idea so I suppose you could say it's in keeping with that that kind of change but I just it's a hell of a jump because for somebody who has never actually intentionally killed somebody or he has but only in self-defense I would say that the ambiguity of his behavior in trying to convince Hannibal that he's on the same level as him in season two would indicate what his capabilities are i would say that even though he doesn't necessarily directly kill uh there's a certain person he doesn't kill directly but he does quite enthusiastically basically manipulate the man's skull the top of his head into some kind of art piece yeah i suppose i mean he does do things like that and i suppose you could also say that he 
he clearly was going to kill Hannibal, or we certainly get the impression that he was going to stab Hannibal just after that scene that we were describing earlier inside the, you know, in, in the art museum or whatever it is. That's, that's the thing. That... And so at that stage, he clearly was willing at that stage to murder. Uh, he was w willing to kill. He was willing to kill Hannibal. And I suppose what we see is over the course of those three series, certainly the, the second series, the second half of the well, in fact, the first half of the second series as well, uh, over both second and third series, we see Will become more and more willing to kill people or not necessarily even to kill people but to use people around him manipulate people and to see people more as objects that he that he can use and manipulate which yeah. is what Hannibal does Hannibal doesn't see people around him as people he sees them as objects and I suppose you could argue that as time goes on that is increasingly what happens to Will Will increasingly sees the people around him not as people but as objects and although he still has an, a part of him that sees characters like Reba even at the end as, as a person he clearly has a lot of empathy and, and sympathy for her there is obviously other people that he doesn't have that for. He doesn't have that for Bedelia. He doesn't have that for, obviously, for Hannibal. Um, well, I suppose you could say there's, there's a lot of mixed emotions with him and Hannibal, but he clearly doesn't have it for the police. I mean, I suppose really the only... I suppose really you could just say, well, he's he's willing to, to kill them, not because he wants to, but because he just sees there is not... A, a, it's the only way he's going to get Hannibal killed, and they are disposable by that stage to him, which I suppose suggests that he, you know, Hannibal has succeeded. Hannibal has transformed him into a man who is capable of making that murder, because I think that murder is more significant, or those deaths are more significant than him killing Dollarhide at the end. I think that is more significant than him killing Dollarhide effectively in self-defence, you could argue, or as a murderer. I mean, killing innocent police officers is, is a hell of a... I mean, that's a big thing. That's, that's a lot of people who have just died there, you know? in effect, as a result of the actions of Will. Uh, of Will, If we consider Hannibal's one true goal is to have someone or a companion or a friend or someone who basically can relate to him on some level, then we can also consider how Will's best and worst feature is his ability to empathise with anyone. Putting those two elements together, you have Will feeling the empathy of someone who does not feel empathy and ultimately combining yeah. those you have then him taking in absorbing very much in the same way that Hannibal does throughout the series the power of manipulating others the power of testing things out to see how things work curiosity i mean yeah it's absolutely yeah, it, true it's 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 you know, it's the magnifying glass with the ants and the sun. It's it's. And Will does that through. I mean, Will does definitely do that. In, I mean, Will that that is a, a thing that develops with Will certainly throughout the second and third series. By the third series, there's that whole sequence in the the final part of the Verger arc where he is tied to a chair and and he basically persuades Alana or he effectively manipulates Alana into freeing Hannibal. I mean, again, that that he. And Chio picks up on it as well. She says while they're on the train that that she can see uh, that that he is manipulating her and manipulating events. So so it is true that he does do things like that throughout. I suppose it's just uh, the the whole thing with the police is a, is the first time where we really see him, where we see an action of Will's directly impact on people. He has no reason to. You know, because with Chilton, you could say, well, there is some sort of animosity there. I don't know, doesn't defend what he does, but it, you know, there is, you could possibly see some part of it there. But I mean, with, that's a lot of innocent people that are being killed there as a result of direct result of Will's actions. And I suppose, yeah, I suppose it is true. I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I didn't, I didn't like that, but I just felt I, it was the moment that really. I had a lot of conflicting feelings about it because partly I felt like it happened very suddenly, but then on the other hand, I suppose there are lots of things leading up to it and explaining it, and maybe it does make, it does make sense in context in a way. It's just I, I had very mixed feelings, so I wondered what you thought about it all. He didn't know how it was going to turn out necessarily. He didn't know even if they would either of them would necessarily survive, but perhaps at that moment in time where he knew there was really no turning back and ultimately for him or, or really for Hannibal, uh, the decision to basically pushed them both off the, the cliff, which is what I believe was how it was meant to appear, for sure. Yeah, it was, yeah. Is that the ends justify the means, that the sacrifice of so many was really for the benefit of trying to confront and ultimately kill the monster. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I think, but then I think that's true. I think that proves that Hannibal has has won at the end there in that sense because Hannibal has actually succeeded in that in that at, at that stage at that final moment 
it is Will recognising that he has actually, that Hannibal has actually succeeded in making him somebody who, who can see people as objects to be used and, and that he, who can kill without feeling empathy for or feeling sorry for them or feeling guilt for it. He realises that by doing that, that he is excited by murder, by, by the murder of, of Dollar Hyde there. He realises that all of these things that Hannibal has been trying to nurture in him, I, he really has become that. He has become somebody who, like Hannibal, views people as expendable, which I don't think is true of Will. It's absolutely not true of Will at the start. There's a marvellous element of gothic uh, literature at the end of that, though, where you had this blood really does look black in the moonlight and you you have this whole element of essentially i suppose the closest interpretation the closest comparison i can throw out there is it's frankenstein's monster killing frankenstein yeah it is it is that, and yeah. it, under the moonlight you know at the top of the cliff and yes. then there's jumping jumping off the side of the iceberg together or whatever it is it's been a while since i read it's been even longer since <laughs> since i read uh frankenstein's and then i uh, then i watched the, this hannibal but yeah it's it, it is like that because they uh you know they both go off I and mean, obviously it's also i think it's more meant to directly reference uh, Moriarty and Sherlock going off, but I actually I think you're right. I think in some ways it's that's a more sort of a more apt comparison is is Frankenstein's monster taking Frankenstein off the off the side of the iceberg and into the into the depth below. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean I I tell you what, Brian Fuller would be amazing to do. I would love to see him to do a Lovecraft series. You know, like an HP Lovecraft series. I'd love to see anything Lovecraft. It amazes me that in this that like with modern technology and all the other stuff, CGI and stuff, that we have not had a a Cthulhu film or something like that. I mean, they could do such an amazing film like that, you know? It's crazy to me that that's 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 a whole universe of different creatures and stories that they could could tap into. Maybe we should... I'm going to throw this out there. Maybe we should have a Lovecraft recording. Maybe we should. Uh... The problem with that, I don't know. I, I can't pretend to know enough about uh, Lovecraft. I can only tell you what I have. I think I probably maybe read a couple of them, but I mean, a couple of years ago. And I, I the my knowledge of Lovecraft largely comes from pop culture and games i've played which were were uh you know influenced by well maybe, by maybe we should maybe we should just take we'll take one story perhaps i don't know maybe we'll we'll call it uh, this is hannibal's maybe we can call that um love balls no that doesn't work <laughs> i think that's <laughs> i think that's a very different yes. podcast. <laughs> well i am trying to get a disheartening podcast off the ground which is all about um dating in the 21st century so yeah love balls that'd be good we can uh we can squeeze in some love balls somewhere. And on that bombshell, Kelvin, thank you very much for joining me on this uh, episode, I suppose, of Podnose Presents. This was Hannibal's. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been nice being here. I've never done one of these with you before, but uh, hopefully it'll be the first of, uh, of many. Well, the next one I'm hoping we'll do, it could be any time in the next few months, hopefully, we'll be having a look at which, which we did. We Now, I threw out two suggestions Let's not pin up. Let's not say what we're going to do yet. Let's just, just say that we will be doing one in okay. the future. Okay. But I, what I what I will say is that uh, I, the the options that uh, have been thrown out, I'm very excited about discussing because they're uh, alongside Hannibal. Uh, the two suggestions I threw out are uh, the three of the best shows uh, I have seen uh, in my life. I would say, and uh, I would be very interested to see. Uh, what what do you think of them? Because, uh, like Hannibal, it's very hard to find other people, certainly in this part of the world. I know that there are, there are Hannibal mad people. Uh, sorry, I'll say that again. <laughs> uh, edit point. I know that there are Hannibal fans all over the world, but it's certainly hard to uh, get into a deep discussion about Hannibal uh, this side of the pond. So I imagine it would be the same for the two other shows that uh, I've thrown out there. But they will be revealed uh, all, all in good time. But for now, this has been Hannibal's with myself, George Grimwood, and our very special guest, Kelvin. You can check us out and many other episodes of many other shows on the Podnose Network at www.podnose.com. If you'd like to get in touch, uh, make any suggestions, Kelvin and I, I'm sure, will be more than happy to investigate almost anything that you throw in our direction, within reason yes. and uh, also subject. <laughs> yes, we may not talk about it all on air, but we'll yeah, watch it. Oh, yeah, exactly, and it's subject to a long period of time. <laughs> this may be over yeah. a number of years. 
but yeah, get in touch via admin at podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at podnose. Uh, also at grimword is my personal one. Kelvin, what's your Twitter feed? Well, you can find me on Twitter and on uh, YouTube as Radio Face Comedy. Basically, Radio Face Comedy on, on all these various different Radio places. Face Comedy. So there you go. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. And. I'm not too sure what I'll be putting in at this point. Probably some wonderful music to see us out by the marvellous composer of Hannibal, Brian Ratzel. So sit back, relax, tuck into some food that hopefully doesn't contain any human waste. And... like <laughs> 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 I didn't say human flesh. You said human waste. Well, well yeah. <laughs> yes, hope you don't <laughs> Any fecal matter. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to suggest. And I hope that as well. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's going to be our standard sign-off now. Is don't eat shit. <laughs> good night. Oh, Kelvin good night, and I everybody. will return soon enough with another show that we'll be discussing to be revealed nearer the time. But for now, you've been listening to Podnose presents Hannibal's Part One and Part Two. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation, why not send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Put Hannibal's in the title. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again on another special episode from Podnose Presents. Bye for now. Podnose Presents features one-off specials, limited series, and pilot episodes as part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Podnose Presents and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Podnose.